I came to university and there was there was no past there. It was more like I came, I said I was gay on the first day. Everyone was like, cool, we moved on. Then as I started meeting like more trans and non-binary people, that was like, well, wait a second, I have to reevaluate my whole life now. Have you ever really stopped to wonder what makes you, you? Why you think the way you do and feel the things you feel? This is Your Amazing Mind, and this podcast is here to help you understand why your mind is so amazing. I'm Michael Pearson, Deputy Head of Student Counselling at the University of Bristol. And what we're doing in this podcast is opening up conversations about the biggest mental health issues affecting students, young people, and everyone. In each episode, you'll hear a student's frank and thoughtful experience of a particular mental health issue. And then we'll get together with a special guest to help you realize that there are people out there that might just get what you're going through and to give you some advice to help you feel just that little bit better. Today, we're exploring the LGBTQ community and their experiences of mental health. Growing up feeling different, maybe bullied, rejected, having to search for role models and representation can be exhausting and for some of us can lead to mental health issues. But remember, you're not the only one. Coming up, we'll be talking to a good friend of mine, the University of Bristol's Vice Chancellor's Fellow, Dr. Miles J. Linton. We'll be hearing about his work and his experiences of mental health within the LGBTQ community. But now you're about to hear from Ruth's amazing mind and the open and reflective experiences of exploring sexuality, gender and identity and the impact that feelings of difference can have on mental health. I think I was like 10, I was in primary school um, and I just started to really struggle with my friendships. I didn't quite fit in with the girls at school and I got like a little bit bullied for that. So I started hanging out more with the boys, but also because I'm not a boy, I just didn't fit in with the boys either. So I kind of found myself in this really weird place where I just didn't know where I stood. I didn't know who who I kind of was in myself, but also like where I, where I fit with other people. And it just led to a kind of just a very, very confusing time. And actually for quite a long time when I was a kid, I was just like, like maybe I am a boy. Maybe that's what's going on here. And then I think I ended up being like 12 and I kind of clocked that I wasn't. But then I just didn't know what was going on and it was all just very, very confusing. After primary school, I went to a girls' school and again, I just felt like I didn't quite fit in too much there, but then it was it was good in the sense that I managed to find like a group of, just like a group of little nerds who we didn't really care who we were. We just kind of chilled quite a bit. But then obviously as you start to grow up, you start to have thoughts about your sexuality. And I remember like quite a lot of people around me starting to like come out and starting to discover that they were bi or gay or whatever. And then that obviously leads to you starting to question things in your mind. I grew up in a kind of like very Christian church and the belief in that church was sort of like, you know, being gay is wrong, which is a really sad thing to say, but that was the view. So that was something that kind of got instilled in me when I was a youth. And then I, as my friends started coming out, you kind of wake up and you're like, wait a second, this view doesn't actually make sense. I'm being ridiculous. So I got to the stage where I didn't care about other people. It's just like, you know, 
you do you sort of thing. But then when it came to me, for some reason, it was like a very different situation. And I just kind of wanted it to be really simple. I wanted it to be like, I like boys. I am a woman. This is how it works sort of thing. But it just never quite worked like that. Um, and I just felt really ashamed of the fact that I wasn't straight. I just was like, I'm letting my family down. And then all of the rhetoric, like, I'm going to hell, what's going on? Everyone hates me, I'm a terrible person. It just kind of led to me just really, really not wanting to talk about it. So I think when I was like 13 or whatever, I, I started really, really thinking about it. And I was terrified of the fact that I thought I was gay, but I kind of knew it in my head. And that was when it just started getting real difficult. I think it, it was a combination of like the exhaustion of trying to discover yourself, being young, and then also just like the stresses of school that sort of come around that time. And I did just start getting really, really depressed and sort of going into myself. And at my lowest point, I did turn to self-harming or whatever, just to kind of relieve some of that anguish and just sort of didn't get any help about it. I just sort of kept in my own little bubble, struggling about it, didn't want to talk to any friends about the stuff I was feeling or thinking because I was kind of ashamed. I was scared of my parents finding out if I talked about it and also, my school just didn't really have a very good track record of supporting people who'd sort of come forward um, sharing like mental health difficulties. It's weird to think about it now because now I just talk about it like me, like me having my breakfast, you know, but it's at that time, it's just it, you didn't talk about it and it's not something that you felt you could. It was really powerful to just sort of find a community and get involved in the like the LGBT plus society and just sort of I came to university and there was there was no past there. It was more like I came. I said I was gay on the first day. Everyone was like, cool, we moved on. Whereas obviously like at school, it's kind of like everyone sees your sort of journey and your development, which I guess makes it a bit different. Then as I started meeting like more trans and non-binary people, the, the, the gender point, which I referenced at the very beginning when young Ruth didn't feel like a girl or didn't feel like a boy, that was the difficult bit. And it was like another period of like, evaluating myself I didn't have the shame attached to it it was just more the confusion that came that was like well wait a second I have to reevaluate my whole life now and the whole like pronouns I use and the whole way I evaluate myself how does potentially being non-binary intersect with being a lesbian and all of that so it was more questions rather than shame but still kind of another period of self-discovery and self-reflection it, it made sense in the end all of my feelings as a kid. And I was like, oh, there's finally this thing that kind of labels how I feel. But then it was also difficult because it meant that at the beginning of second year, I kind of had to start again. And it's that process of reintroducing yourself to people and going like, hey, by the way, I now use these pronouns. Can you please use them sort of thing? And obviously people have got used to using a different pronoun. And it's just kind of a bit of a weird transition and even now you know you still get you still get misgendered and I still feel a bit awkward about correcting people about it being misgendered feels like a stone has kind of dropped in your stomach I just I feel this really weird disconnect between the person they're talking about and myself I think a lot of people feel misgendering very differently I think some people like it, it really really like hurts them with me it's just kind of this really weird disconnect that I'm just a bit confused by and I just sit there like huh <laughs> What are you saying? Like, I don't understand. And then, then just like this kind of level of discomfort whenever that happens, that, you know, when, when someone uses the right pronoun, it's like, yes, this is right. The sad thing is I'm always going to be misgendered, no matter how hard I try. I'm always going to be misgendered. That's something I've got to deal with. But 
I have finally found something that fits me and that is really nice and I've got amazing people around me who like really respect that and really love that. I feel like I can truly be myself around my group of LGBT plus friends, just sort of like be my very weird queer self. And I think without that, it would be quite difficult. Things are good. And looking back on sad, sad 13 year old Ruth, I just kind of, you know, you kind of wish you could talk to your younger self and be like, you will find yourself, it will be fine, you know. Joining me and Ruth now, our guest is a Vice Chancellor's Fellow in Young People's Mental Health and a Chartered Psychologist. He's currently working at the University of Bristol, Elizabeth Blackwell Institute, and he's studied at and worked for the University of Surrey, Exeter and Cambridge, and is super passionate about mental health representation and inclusion. He is someone I love and respect. The considered kind and extremely talented Dr. Miles J. Linton. So the um, Elizabeth Blackwell Institute is the University of Bristol Research Institute that my work is based in. They're a great bunch of people and it's a vice chancellor's fellowship which is it's a little bit like a it's part sort of like development leadership program, part focusing research at the university on areas that are really key issues so young people's mental health at university of bristol is a really key issue um and when the role was announced um i sort of jumped at the opportunity to i guess apply some of my skills to how we as an institution tackle the topic um at the institute it's doing some amazing work in investigating how to improve mental health and well-being for young people so mars can can you tell me a bit more about why you think this work is important yeah, I suppose, I mean, to be honest, at like an individual level, like, and I'm sure we'll come on to it, but as, as someone who was a young person slash is a young person, thinking about my own experience of uh, growing up and, you know, having mental health difficulties along the way, it's really great to, at this stage of my life, to be able to understand it a little bit better, not just for my own sake, but in terms of helping educators and healthcare providers understand how to support young people. So one of the, the, the main focuses of your research, Mars, if I'm correct to say, and the, the Institute is investigating the challenges students face when specifically transitioning into higher education and exploring the vulnerabilities associated with this transition. Um, are you able to tell us a little bit more about these vulnerabilities and what they might be? Yeah, the research when it began was really focused on those transitions and vulnerabilities. And I think just a, a part of research with it developing and talking to more people is that it has actually focused a little bit more on the connections between students and home. So what is it like to support students who are going through mental health crises? What support can families provide? And what makes for sort of helpful intervention and how the university sort of supports students to really have as wide of a possible sort of circular support so thinking about the transitions, you know, going away to university for a lot of students, it will be the first time they've lived away from home. And there'll be all of the sort of developments and newness that make university, I think, like really exciting, but also quite daunting. Um, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to hear from Ruth about what um, sort of some of those vulnerabilities might be. I definitely think there's, a, there's just a big vulnerability in coming into a new space and just like completely not knowing anyone and not worrying about how to present yourself in that space like you haven't quite got comfortable with 
how to turn up, so to speak, if that makes sense. It's also, I think it is quite freeing in the sense, obviously, you can sort of reimagine who you are. But it's also like what happens, you know, there's always that little voice in your head was like, what happens if this me isn't actually that likeable? And I think it is. It's definitely quite scary, you know, putting yourself out there in a completely new space, trying to get to know new people because you haven't quite got that security in that community yet, I'd say. Miles, you mentioned connection between students and home. And, and Ruth, when you were talking through your personal story, you talk about community um, and being LGBTQ plus and the importance of that. Can you talk a little bit um, a bit more about what you mean by community? I think for me, community is it's like finding your people. So it's like it's just the, a group of people who you are really comfortable with and you can sort of be your authentic self with. I think you don't necessarily have to spend every single waking moment with them, but it's people that you feel that that sense of security I just talked about with. And, you know, you feel really supported within that group and you can always sort of dip in, dip out, but you always feel like you're part of something and part of this group of people. Is that your experience of community as well, Mars? Um, it's, it's really difficult. I feel like having been to uni twice, my experience of community was really different both times. So like first time I went, um, I I think I was just looking for like any and everyone. And I probably wasn't as sort of emotionally intelligent as Ruth to think, you know, where would I feel um, like most welcomed and where would I feel most like seen and like held. Second time round, I definitely, having not had that first time round for the most part, I was definitely a lot more deliberate about how I sought out connection and I mean I I don't necessarily think everyone should have to go to uni twice but it was great getting the opportunity to sort of put into practice the things that I learned would be better for me second time around so yeah it, it was it was definitely good to find community second time around. And do you think that's something to do with your journey and becoming more mature yeah, I mean, I mean, ultimately, for me, one of the main things was, you know, being able and comfortable enough in my skin to be my whole self. And, you know, second time around that that was possible. I was I was really sort of empowered to, to, to own my queerness in a way that I wasn't first time around. And actually, it was front and center. And, you know, it wasn't didn't define every aspect of me. But it was finally something that I didn't feel like I needed to sort of keep in a box. Absolutely. And I, I think I had a similar experience myself going to university the first time uh, and not being comfortable with my identity at all compared to going to university the second time and being able to openly identify and align myself with who I thought I was and have a lot less shame associated with it. Ruth, I, I noticed with you, you have such a, a confidence with your identity and it's really inspiring I just wondered, and you talk about it a little bit in your personal story, that there were still some difficulties in discovering yourself at university. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I think it's always something that's constantly evolving and you're constantly evaluating. And it has taken me quite a long time to get to this space. So obviously I came to university and it, it was really good in the fact that, you know, I had a clean start and I could just be openly gay without, I guess, sort of any of necessarily any of the worry but there still was that little I still had this period of self-discovery and discovering my gender that 
only I only really started thinking about a university when I came into contact and met with more trans people and kind of identified with what they were talking about. So I think even if you can come into a space really comfortable with your identity, you know, there's always going to be more to discover. And it's kind of, you know, for me, it's all about being open to the fact that there's probably more to discover. And, you know, you probably will have to go through that process and keep learning to be comfortable with new things that you discover about yourself. And you talked about seeing yourself, I think, and seeing yourself in a community. Why is that important to be able to see yourself out there? Yeah, I think it's really important because it it gives it gives your experiences weight and it makes you sort of feel valid. And it also is, for example, with me meeting other like trans people, like especially like other non-binary lesbians, and hearing from them that actually this identity is a thing I can be. I think that was really, really powerful. And it just, you know, it it makes you stop thinking that, oh, this is just, it's me by myself with my experience, no one can understand. There is actually a group of people who you can talk to this about. You can constantly discuss different things you're feeling. They can validate you. And I think that's really powerful. When we intercept these things and identities, uh, for example, if we look to LGBTQ plus people and, and intercept them with ethnicity, disability, socioeconomic background. We know that things can become even more challenging and also the, the risk of mental health increases further. And I, I wanted to, to ask you both, Mars, I'm particularly interested to hear about your experience. What was it, what was your experience like in terms of having those intersections? And do you think it was qualitatively different because of that? It's such a good question. I almost find it impossible to answer because I've only really ever had my life. But I think being black and navigating racism, for example, it's not the being black, it's the it's the stuff that comes with it. It's, you know, being queer and navigating queer phobia. They're they're the I think the things that have been challenges that probably intersected with my mental health or well being at different parts of my life because the moment I became like really open and like honest, not just with myself, but with my sort of surroundings, it was just such a weight being lifted. It felt so liberating. Like there was so much positivity with that. It's sort of then just, you know, when you're going about living your life and like Ruth said, sort of validating yourself, it's, it's the attacks to that, that really are the knocks. It's not, yeah, being who I am. And it's really difficult to communicate. And, you know, as you can hear me at the moment, trying to, trying to think and, and describe it, it's a, the energy that it takes to really understand that is also something to keep in mind. Do you know what is exhausting? I will say it's exhausting if you are in a therapeutic capacity and you are meet a therapist or someone like a counselor and you feel like you're needing to expend energy explaining who you are. Um, and that is why I've often, if I've ever needed sort of extra support, I've always just opted for someone who is queer or someone who is black um, or someone who's queer and black. Ruth, is, is that a similar experience for you? Do, does it become exhausting sometimes to explain who you are? Yeah, I think definitely with um, like my transness and whatever, that is really difficult. I feel like in terms of like general discourse, I feel like people are starting to understand to a level which someone who's not LGBT can understand, but understand sort of the sexuality ex- aspects of people's lives. But I think transness is just so new and so alien to so many people that they just really struggle to understand it at all. And, you know, I 
I'll be in like therapy or whatever and people just they won't quite understand how to for example how to navigate if they accidentally misgender me or whatever and it will just kind of become this big thing and it's like but it that's not helpful for the space it's it's quite sort of exhausting to you know at the beginning you have to almost like teach teach the other person like if you do this here's what you should do you know what I mean and it just constantly doing that and constantly having to explain it does get quite exhausting and it always seems to happen it's like a lot of the work is on you to teach other people to respect you which I think is something that's quite tiring to do I'd like to ask about mental health so the whole point of this discussion and, and talking about being LGBTQ plus is to understand how that intersects with mental health uh, and we know and there's some really good stonewall facts I was reading yesterday lots of information out there that evidences and shows that um, LGBTQ plus people will experience more mental health issues um, and that's an evidence well documented well researched fact do you think there's something about being LGBTQ plus that complicates mental health issues no i mean like my initial gut reaction it sort of goes back to the whole point about navigating a world that seeks to invalidate your 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 personhood that debates not just your existence but your basic need to be viewed and seen as a person and i think so much of the onus is put on LGBTQ plus to that being the reason why they're experiencing anxiety and depression and and lots of other things and actually if we looked externally at what you have to deal with from a young age through to adulthood there's also you know a lot of incredible incredible things that come with being part of that community but there's also a lot externally that you have to navigate and I think for me that's that's the thing we should be looking at when we see those really harrowing stats about mental health in in our community it's why have external um, sources of support um, normalised that? Why are we not looking at levels of mental health in LGBTQ plus youth in particular and saying we need to do something? I think being LGBTQ plus is great. Like I really, really do love it. Like the community, having like being able to be deliberate about who you are and to own who you are and to really sort of like interrogate how you want to move through spaces and to reject things that don't work for you in your life. I think that's cool. And, I, you know, I think... That's the stuff that, not here, but that generally speaking doesn't get spoken about. Mm. Yeah, and we're all nodding and smiling. <laughs> you were nodding as well, Ruth. Is that your experience of it? Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I love, I love being gay. I love being queer. I, I, I love it all, honestly. Yeah, and it is. I know there, there is an aspect to liberating yourself from like. I don't know, like the cage, this sounds really dramatic, but like the cage that society kind of puts everyone in and the, little, the mold that society tries and forces everyone in. And then it, it is really powerful to break free from that and just be like, nah, wait a second, that's actually not me. And for you to just live your authentic self, so to speak. So honestly, I, w- I wouldn't change a thing. I, I love I love being queer. It's brilliant. And, and this, I think, moves nicely on to those that, that might be listening to this and LGBTQ+, and other people that might be struggling with their identity and what we might be able to say to them. Um, and I, I wondered if either of you have anything to say to, to these individuals that might be helpful. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, you're loved. Um, 
you know, it's your journey. It will take its own direction and, and it has its own pace. And there might be a lot of pressure to rush it or to arrive at some grand conclusion. But, you know, everyone's just on their own path. And I think some, some self-trust that beginning to see yourself is a really important early part of, of that process. Yeah, no, I think, you know, it will take its own time. There'll be many stages to it. And, you know, things might seem to go backwards and go forwards and sort of go a bit around and it might all seem a bit overwhelming. But like, you know, self-discovery is really important and it is really liberating when you sort of come to the conclusion of your journey, I guess, if you ever come to the conclusion of your journey. And like, whatever you find about yourself, there's like a community here for you kind of waiting with open arms and just try not to be too hard on yourself and frustrated that you haven't worked things out automatically or you haven't quite found the right label if that's something that might work for you. But yeah, it's just giving yourself the time and the space to to discover yourself. And once you come out the other end, it's a great time. <laughs> so I think there's something that you both said about patience almost, and, and taking your time, not pressurizing yourself too much um uh, and understanding difference that feels so important to me that uh, we can embrace difference and that can be a really wonderful thing once you get there so I'd like to to finish up I think that was fantastic and I love chatting to you both you you're wonderful people thank you Ruth for your personal story and sharing that that's going to be really helpful for people listening Miles, always lovely to chat to you. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Take care. Thank you both. Thanks a lot. Big thanks to Miles and Ruth for taking part and sharing their story with us. If you're affected by the issues raised in this podcast, check out the episode notes for links to relevant support. Some of the best ways to combat mental health is through conversation, so don't be afraid to talk to someone you trust. And if you know anyone that might be struggling with these issues, please share this podcast with them. This has been an 1860 production for the University of Bristol. The producer was Rowan Bishop.